Welcome to the Red Letters Podcast, a community of abuse survivors focusing not on the perpetrators of the abuse, but on the joy, agency, and strength that await you after trauma. We hope that you stay and listen and feel safe in this family through the stories that we share. We don't just empathize, we've walked through it ourselves. So, welcome home. You're a true badass. Guys, today we have a super special episode because today we have family on. I'm here with the lovely Lenny, who is my sister-in-law's mother, and we are very honored to have her be willing to share her story with us today. Say hi, Lenny! Hi, Lenny! (laughs) (laughs) Now, we know and already love you because you are my wonderful (laughs) sister-in-law's mother, which means you are also wonderful, my proxy. Um, But but I also know, I mean, I don't know your story super directly yet, but um, have heard that it's, you've basically been, to put it politely, like on quite the journey Mm. throughout your life. Um, And essentially, I would love to be honored to hear your story and what you've been through, through the context of, you know, this community of overcoming abuse, the the strength and the empowerment that's still there, because I think it's so easy to forget that you can feel empowered after feeling so disempowered. Um, so I would love to, yeah, wherever you feel comfortable, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Okay. What you said about empowered, it, it takes a while to to get empowered, and it also takes a lot of counseling and getting your mind back in a good place and mm-hmm. making you realize that you didn't do anything yeah. to become that victim. And a lot of the therapy, too, which has really helped me, is that they said every time you hang on to that, um, you're still their victim. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to um, not give them any power. And like I said, a lot of therapy taught me that. Yeah. So Therapy's a big part. I'm a big proponent of therapy for yeah. anyone who's gone, just for anyone, period, but also through any sort of, like, yeah. abuse or traumatic event or anything like that. Yeah. That was a huge turning point in my life because yeah. I just started going to therapy two years ago for the first time, mm-hmm. and I felt like within six months I was a new new woman at a new lease on life of sorts. Yeah, it's kind of like taking a big deep breath um, because, it, and you know, a lot of it too is like post-traumatic stress because I had no clue when I started having panic attacks and stuff mm. right after Valerie was born. Okay. Um She was just a couple months old, and it would just hit me. I mean, I was getting so bad to where I wouldn't even leave the house. Mm. And her dad was getting frustrated with me, you know, snap out of it. What's wrong with you? And I was afraid of everything and Mm. didn't know what was going on. I mean, I was functioning. I was taking care of Valerie. Were you aware at the time what was triggering your panic attacks? No. Okay. No. Um, I'd never experienced that before. So that was when I first started going into um counseling and then it all made sense um what it was was when I had my own daughter I guess in the back of my mind I was wondering why my mom because I would have done anything for this precious girl Mm -hmm. I mean nobody would have touched her nobody would have done anything to hurt her and I guess somehow it triggered something in me that my mom didn't do anything to protect me Mm. and so that's how it chose to come out Mm -hmm. which makes sense yeah Yeah. my mind was saying was struggling with you know what should be right 
and what I never got, mm -hmm. you know, the protection and, and the way a mother is supposed to do anything for their child, which I did for Val, but I guess some weird part of me was, was a post-traumatic stress. Yeah. It just that was what triggered it. Yeah. And I so. can't even imagine that at the level you must have been feeling it with it being your actual own flesh and blood because I've nannied and when I first started nannying uh, about the age I was first assaulted, it was five, six years old. And uh. when I first saw, like really grew attached to the first kids I started nannying for and they were about five, six years old, yeah. I went through a couple months where I was so angry and mad all the time and realized it's because I'm seeing this innocence in them and I, I'm not even their mother and I felt like I would do anything to protect yeah. them to think that how could anyone do that to something so innocent and beautiful? Mm -hmm. It wrecks you. So I can only imagine for me feeling it in a very small way how powerful yeah. it must have been for you as a feeling. Yeah, and I was like, if anybody ever messed with Val, I would be in jail. Mama bear. For murder. Because <laughs> no one is going to touch her, you know, mm -hmm. after after what I went through so yeah. what is your relationship with your mom like now if you don't mind my asking um I don't have the warm fuzzy feelings <laughs> that you should have for your mother mm -hmm. I respect her because she gave me life and we get together for her birthday and mother's day but she will call me three or four times a week and I may pick up mm. one mm -hmm. <laughs> out of those four times yeah and I know it's mean, but I feel like, why should I give her my time and my respect when, or not, I won't say respect, attention, mm -hmm. when I didn't get that? Mm -hmm. I don't know, think that's mean. She, I think that's laying a healthy boundary. Sometimes I do feel guilty, though, for feeling that way about her. And I know everybody says, forgive and forget, and I have forgiven her. And through therapy, I've forgotten. But... It's always in the back of my mind, you know, why would she choose an abusive pedophile over all four of her children? Mm. I don't, I'll never get over that, mm -hmm. you know. As through my adult life, if I've ever encountered emotional abuse, thank God I've never had physical abuse. Mm. One boyfriend in high school hit me in the eye one time and that was like, goodbye. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but... Even emotional abuse, I won't stand for it. I, uh, if anything, in the way I raised Danny and Valerie, I vowed to break the cycle and raise them the way children should be raised. Mm -hmm. And they're put above anything else. <laughs> Val is fist pumping the air right now, just so yeah. everyone can know. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's no man would ever get between me and my children. Mm -hmm. Never. I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow that. Mm -hmm. And like Larry... <laughs> he was, you know, he would say just off the wall remarks about my kids, and I say that was that. Yeah, sorry, I had them first. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I trashed his driveway. It's okay. Yes, yes, she did. And I truly, I don't think there's anything mean spirited about that. I think it's good that you're, or lovely, I should say, that you're being like aware of that and yeah. like being conscious of it. But I'm a big believer in. Forgive and forget is such a nice phrase, I feel like, in theory, but then in application, I think can actually perpetrate the cycle of abuse because then you forgive and you just forget like it never happened and then yeah. there's no learning or growth or caution moving forwards. It doesn't have to mean fear moving forwards, but to be like cautious of the fact that there are evil people in the world and to not, once you have a very hard, uh, unfortunate learning moment like that, 
then you the way to redeem it is to learn from it and grow from it. And if you yeah. just forgive and forget, a lot of times you walk right back into I know, and everybody says, oh, you need to forgive or you're going to carry this huge burden around. But for me, it's, just, it's reversed. For me, forgetting, hmm. you know. And in the back of my mind, it'll always be there. But realizing the, the life that I have now, you know, is because I've got this all locked up in a little box, which is what therapy taught me. You know, you put mm -hmm. that kind of stuff in a little box and it's yeah. just, there's a padlock on it and you don't get in that box mm -hmm. if you want to lead a good, happy life, which I have. There's something to be said for bitterness sort of poisoning the well. Right. Like, you, someone said it to me once. It's a common, like, catchphrase or whatever, but drinking poison, waiting for the other person to die kind of thing. Yeah. That you give yeah. that person so much power over you, even if and when you've walked away, if you're letting them, you let that bitterness just stay in your that yeah. memory and you're cycling over and over. Yeah. And there's no, now now they've won in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at that point. Well, my, the, the hard thing, it's not that I've been struggling a little bit with, was my sister and my brother, not Randy, but my brother Rick and my sister Deb, they have forgiven him. Mm. And they got, you know, some really bad abuse. In fact, my sister probably got the worst. But I have not chose to set foot in my mom's house with him there. I won't. I won't go there. I never. They're still married? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Mm. She says, well, I'm lucky. I... I feel very blessed because he doesn't beat me anymore. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, are you serious? That's heartbreaking. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. And he doesn't cheat on me anymore. And, mm. and, of course, there's no more children for, around for yeah. him to abuse anymore. You know, they've even said to me, Lenny, you know, you, you need to start forgiving. You know, it's really good therapy. And I'm like, I feel great. <laughs> and, and if I don't want to forgive him, I don't feel like I have to. Mm. you know and it's and your choice to make it is yeah. exactly mm -hmm. and you know even all my counseling they never once because I went three different times you know when I would feel myself kind of mm. you know slipping a little bit yeah um and I never know never once none of them ever said you need to forgive mm -hmm. you know oh yeah I can't and I don't think anyone should ask that of anyone either. Mm -hmm. No one can tell you to, like, get over it or, right. or just move past or whatever this right. idea. Mm, I really hate when that happens yeah. so much. Yeah. It's not healthy, too. Because no. if you're not ready, if that's not something you're choosing and feel prepared for, mm -hmm. why would you ever... I don't like, know if I'll ever be ready yeah. to forgive and him. And that's okay. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, when he passes away, I am going to be ecstatic. Mm. <laughs> and when his dad passed away, he abused me too, me and my sister. Oh, wow. It was it was totally continued through their family. Wow. His his dad started it. Um his son Bill, my uh my stepdad's brother Bill, mm. he abused his adopted daughter. Mm. Um my stepdad, you know, obviously abused us and nobody, all the men in that whole family, none of them broke the cycle so um so yeah when his dad passed away i was not sad at all <laughs> yeah i think not that's truly okay <laughs> yeah no i'm with you do you mind if you feel comfortable could you walk us through some of what that sort of abuse looked like for you and you don't have to share anything you don't feel comfortable sharing well but. it was you know it's it started out i mean he whipped us all with a belt the very first time he met us 
Jeez. Yeah. When did he come into your life? My mom actually um, abandoned all four of us kids oh. when we were three, four, six, and seven. Younger than that, so six, five, three, and two. And uh, she was taken away from us, obviously. She just took us to a babysitter's one day and said she'd be back in a few hours and never came back. And two days later, the gal finally had to call children's services. Yeah. So my dad was a traveling DJ, like, all over the U.S., so he usually just had, like, one-bedroom apartments. He couldn't take us, so he had his sister, Burl, take us, and she had a great farm in Oregon, and we, uh, we lived with her two and a half years, and Mom had to get her act together. She mm-hmm. had one, one day out of the weekend, either she could pick a Saturday or Sunday um, once a month okay. to come see us. And it, it was six months before they even let her do that. Mm. So in her process of trying to get her act together, she met Ken. And when she finally got to the point where they were actually going to let her take us for a weekend, they were she was living in Eugene with him. And uh, that's, yeah, mom had done some laundry and it was all nice and warm. So as kids were being kids, we were <laughs> rolling in it and mm-hmm. <laughs> scattering it on the as an adult, I still love to do that. Fresh laundry is the best. Just came out of the dryer, so we're all in the laundry basket. And he came in there and he says, "What are you little? Can I cuss? Yes, you. What are to. you little assholes doing?" You know? And we just stared at him. We said, "You're not our dad." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was all it took. He whipped up his belt and mm-hmm. whipped all four of us. So that was our first introduction to yeah. him. And, and even through your mom, it sounds like there's already trauma there with the abandonment, and then. Yeah. The whole being in child services yeah. like that and then the visitation, yeah. that alone will do a lot. So it was probably another six months and she won custody back of us. And, oh my gosh, we did not want to leave the life we had, you know, with my aunt. Hmm. So we all had to move in Eugene and she had they had a little one-bedroom apartment. For all of you guys? For six people. Oh, my gosh. One bedroom apartment. I can't believe the judge allowed that. Yeah. She should have had suitable living quarters, but whatever. We had to go there. And so they had two sets of bunk beds set up in one bedroom, and they had a -a hide-a-bed they slept on in the living room, Mom and Ken. Mm -hmm. And um, Mom worked nights. So he would make all of us kids go to bed except Dove. And that's when the bad part started for her with me he waited a little longer I think it was like another year before he started on me yeah it was things and you know how they talk about the grooming Mm. you know yeah Mm -hmm. he would buy you a candy bar and not the other kids or Mm. tell you you know you're such a pretty little girl and you know that kind of thing little treats and compliments and stuff yeah little rewards Mm -hmm. because I mean I was a homely child I really was (laughs) and I got made fun of a lot and maybe that's why I was you know sucked in and and just you know it started out with me you know he would just he would take my hand and put it on him Mm. you know while he had his clothes on and stuff it and then it just kind of took off from there then he started touching me just you know tried to bribe me with things but Mm -hmm. I was really resistant he would when everybody went to church he would take me aside and he'd go tell them tell your mom 
that you're feeling sick, that you just want to stay home mm. from church. Mm. Yeah, so he could have me alone mm-hmm. with him. Sometimes it would be me, sometimes it would be Deb. And then the beatings, you know, mostly my brothers, Rick and Randy, took most of the beatings for just stupid things, you know. Yeah, there's rarely logic behind yeah. physical abuse. Yeah, yeah. If, they, if they ripped off a button on, on their shirt at school. I would say, actually, let me correct my own thing. I can't say there's rarely logic behind physical abuse. There's never logic behind physical abuse. No. I have to correct that in myself. No. And it was just, or they'd go out and, you know, this one time they went out, Rick and Randy, they were doing new construction on a house down the street from us, and there was a big, huge dirt pile, and uh, Rick and Randy went down there and played in the dirt pile. And when they got home, Ken beat them both so bad, Rick actually went into shock. Oh my God! He actually wet himself. He was pale white. He was shaking. He wet himself. He had such horrible marks across his back from mm. the belt. And this is where my mother comes in. Yeah, I was about to ask. <laughs> she kept him home from school for three days because mm. she was so afraid that the school was going to Yeah, be see. able to tell. Yeah. It's going to see. Because the school will intervene, hopefully, yeah. if it's a good school. Yeah. They see stuff like that. Yeah. So... You know, that... She's enabling him at that point. She enabled him in everything. It was like every every touch, every word, every bribery, you know, every beating, you know, because she got the beatings too, mm-hmm. you know. He, he always, he, when he worked for Cascade Steel, he had steel-toed work boots and mm-hmm. get her down on the ground and just kick her like a dog oh, with God. these steel-toed work boots. And mm-hmm. us kids were screaming for him to stop, but mm-hmm. we were afraid of him. Because he always told us, you know, you you say anything to anybody and I'm going to kill your mother. Yeah, you know? and why and then, wouldn't you believe it when you're seeing that as a yeah, child? And, and then very... he told us he would be in charge of us. I will be your dad. That was another thing. He mm. made us call him dad. We had a dad. Granted, he wasn't in the picture much. But anytime we would mention our dad, we were punished. And if we slipped and called him Ken, we got beat. You know, or slapped across the face, or... Did your mom ever witness the sexual abuse he was perpetrating on you guys, she or...? Didn't, she didn't witness it, but, you know, okay. she should have figured out, you know, what was going on. When when Deb and I were younger, you know, we weren't... Um, Deb would just say, I have an owie down here, and touch, mm. you know, touch her crotch. And she's like, oh, well, you probably just got bubble bath soap in there or something, you know. And it's like, didn't something, like, go through her head? She probably did know. Ugh. At that point, it's probably just denial, maybe even out of just fear for herself if she's receiving a lot of yeah. beatings too, which does not make enabling that behavior in him yeah. defensible in the least, but to yeah. try and see it through a human lens of... <laughs> Whenever we... We lived on pretty much on government food and stuff because a lot of times he couldn't get his lazy ass to work. <laughs> and mom did all the work, and a lot of her work was at night, mm. which left my yeah. sister and I home alone with him. And as we got older, um, the abuse got worse, you know. And the, when he would drink, that was when it would get really bad. And for mom, that was her way out. Well, mm. he's just drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't, she you can't, it. yeah, you, you can't, well, most of this was when he was on a hangover, when he was picking mm. on me, I mean, like, one morning he was climbing into my bed, this was when I was about 15, I wake up to him climbing into my twin bed, 
because my sister moved out at 16 just mm. to get away from him. She married a guy she didn't even love just to get away from him. She grew to love him, though, and he it ended up, you know, being okay. But uh, then that left me. Yeah, <laughs> to receive all of it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And climbs in the bed and starts grabbing my boobs, you know, and trying to rip my nightgown off. And I just took my foot and just, <laughs> you know, kicked him onto the other twin bed. And luckily, you know, my face. brothers heard the commotion and he stopped. But mm. I would literally drag a chair into the bathroom with me to take a shower and stuff and prop it under the door. <laughs> so many times he came in to the bathroom when I was showering and he'd just pull the curtain you know and just sit there and stare at me and just say horrible things like lay a, a $50 bill on the coffee table and say come in the bedroom with me it'll only oh take God. about 10 minutes you know and I'm like I, I'm not stupid I mean I knew and I'd tell mom oh know? yeah I'd tell mom every single time something huh. happened and she said well just stay out of his way you know, you probably took it wrong. As if and you're I, inviting it. I know. And I said, Mom, when he puts, <laughs> says stuff like that. Mm. And then uh, uh, other times if I would turn down his advances, I would lose privileges. Mm. Okay, you're grounded, mm. you know. And he was just a sick fuck. Sounds I like mean, it. And super manipulative on top of you everything know, things, else. The brown wrap packages would come in the mail mm-hmm. for him, you know. Just those kids being kids, you know. <laughs> we looked at him once <laughs> carefully removed the tape mm-hmm. it was bestiality and child Ooh. child oh porn child porn and so we'd wrap it back up well they had this headboard that had these sliding doors mm-hmm. and we we didn't know that he had them booby trapped <laughs> and so this one day we all got a beating apparently he stuck a bobby pin in the track and he could tell if the bobby pin moved somebody had been into his porn so we all got beat for that one but yeah one by one all of us kids you know just mom watched us one by one Mm. there goes another one there goes another one and i guess you know that's why i'm so bitter with her because how could you i mean i left when i was 17 because he finally he finally told me if you don't have intercourse with me you you're grounded you will never see your friends you will have 15 minutes to get home from school and get back to this house Mm. no phone calls nothing you know you can't Mm. accept babysitting jobs to make money Mm. nothing and so by this time you know my sister was already set up with um her husband Mike you know the one she married at 16 and they had a little two-bedroom apartment and she told me if things ever got too bad to handle she said call me and I'll come get you Mm. and she cried when she had to leave because she knew that I was going to be left you know in the hands in with him Mm. you know and so that day I called her and I went out in the garage and found a few boxes and just started throwing shit in the boxes you know and he's yelling at me and threatening to kick my ass he gets on the phone calls my mom she comes flying up in the driveway from work and and uh they're both screaming at me you're not going nowhere we're calling children's services and 
And I yeah, had, call Children's Services. Go I for had, it. <laughs> I had ran away a few times, too, and went to my friend Colleen's, and her parents, I broke down one time and finally told them what was going on in that house. And uh, they were ready to turn him in anyway if I had moved, uh, done what I did that day. And so they're yelling at me, like you said, you know, Cole. I said, you go ahead and call Children's mm-hmm. Services. I said, I will have a story for them. Yeah. And I said, your ass is the one that will be leaving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, from from then on, I lived with my with Deb, my sister, until I graduated and uh, got a job and got an apartment with my friend Rhonda, eventually got married. And it was like, once I got out of that house, mm. it was like this huge weight was lifted, mm. you know? Oh, I'm sure. And I got really good grades in school. That's what's funny is, is actually school was an escape mm. for me. And so I got really good grades and always got depressed. When it started getting about a quarter to three, I'd start getting depressed. I, oh, God, I have to go home. Yeah. You know? I'm really struck by the bravery, though, that you displayed throughout so much of it. Just the fact alone that every time uh, your stepdad was abusing you, that you told your mom. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of kids, once they're rejected once, won't go back to that. The fact that you kept saying it and kept essentially claiming your value every time you tell her that. Because you're acknowledging, this is wrong, I deserve better, Mm -hmm. even though she's not doing anything with it. You stood up for your worth continuously your whole childhood through that. And then to then get up and leave, too, that takes insane amounts of strength and courage oh god my heart was just beating out of my chest because honestly i didn't know what he was gonna do yeah um did he try to like come after you or follow or threaten you afterwards or did he he just let go he was just on my ass yelling at me grabbing at my arms and i just flung his you know flung his hand away and i said i'm doing this but after you left did he ever try and like find you and they did not call the police um, they were threatening my sister, mm. saying, you know, she she can't live with you. You mm. know, she has to come back home, and she's still in school, and she's a minor, and, and all this. And Deb told them the same thing I did. Mm-hmm. She said, you go ahead and try. It's an idle threat at that point. Yeah. yeah. She said, you go ahead and try and report any of this. Report Lenny as a runaway or any of this. And she said, I will tell them. And she said, I will go back to the very beginning and she said you'll have so many charges against you it'll make your head spin Hmm. you know you'll never get out of prison some strong women that's what Mm -hmm. i'm hearing Mm -hmm. so they left it alone they -hmm. left it alone and i didn't even see my mom for the longest time i avoided her because she was trying to make me stay there Oh, she's equal parts of the abuse just by allowing it in full knowledge to continue like that yeah that's unfortunately yeah. yeah. And there, you know, there are a few things that I've I've held back. You know, I've never told my mom or my sister, you know, mm. a couple of the things he made me do. It's just too, too hard. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't, I don't understand how, <laughs> how any mother could allow that. I just, when they say love is blind, I mean, oh my God. Mm. Yeah, oh that's my. the bad example of it. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What did that look like for you then? I imagine you had mentioned saying you're feeling so free afterwards, which makes immense amounts of sense, and to have 
made that escape with your sister, and then I'm sure it's still being hard with your knowing your brothers were still there. I'm guessing at that point, yes. Yeah, but you know, Rick and Randy were getting big enough and strong enough that mm-hmm. he wasn't messing with them anymore. Gotcha. It was mo- mostly emotional, not not physical anymore. Because Rick and Randy, one of them six two and one six three. Oh, big big boys! <laughs> they were hitting those heights in high school. Not yeah. quite willing to pick a fight with that as easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When he can fight back. So you know, it it was not as hard. I didn't want either one of them to have to stay in that house, and yeah. you know, you feel a sense of guilt. I knew what Deb was feeling when she left me there. I know what she was feeling because I felt bad. That Rick and Randy still had to be there, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's like who's gonna be, you know, who's all his abuse gonna rain down on now? Mm-hmm. You know, and he after this, when I started having the panic attacks after I had Val, um, he actually called me one day. Is that when they started? Because uh, that would make sense if that kind of triggered it. Um, it was actually after. Okay, I'd gone into counseling. Okay. And um, didn't have caller ID back then, so I just answered the phone, you know, hello. And he's like, this is Ken. And it's like my stomach immediately just crunched up, and I'm like, what the fuck do you want? Because you hadn't probably heard from him in a super long time, I'm guessing. Yeah. Not since I had left. Yeah. And he says, I really do uh, need to talk to you. He says, don't you realize, he said, the way you left, he said, it just broke my heart. Don't you realize that I was in love with you? What? Yeah. He said, I did not. not. I did not think of you as a stepdaughter. I thought of you as a girlfriend. I loved you more than your mother. That is so messed up on so many levels. Isn't we can't it? even begin to unpack that. Oh I my wanted God. To, I wanted to just throw up and I said, what is wrong with you? Yeah. I said, I'm going to, you know, I said, you're driving me to, I said, I'm going to counseling, you know, because of you. Mm. You know, I said, how could you sit there and say that? I said, I had no love for you whatsoever. No respect for you. Mm-mm. All I had for you was hatred. Mm-hmm. And I said, you took my childhood and turned it into a twisted, sick mess. Yeah. I said, I'm having to fix now mm-hmm. with counseling because of you. But I said, I want you to know, I said, my daughter will never experience the kind of crap mm-hmm. <laughs> so that you put our entire family through. Mm-hmm. I just, it won't happen. Again, that's such strength to stand up to him on the phone like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so already so endlessly impressed by this story and by your your character truly, like the example that you stand for for women for claiming your worth and standing up to evil like that time and time. No, I mean this very sincerely. It's so easy to be run down by it or to turn that inward on yourself. And I'm sure that there are moments where you, you maybe attacked the self a little bit and felt low, but like... You are all along the way, like, standing up for yourself and being so brave. I definitely didn't respond that way. Like, I turned it all in on myself and on other people that I'm truly, truly very impressed. It does affect your trust level, though. Yeah. Like, even with Valerie, she, I did not trust any older men around her. Mm. She told me about this one teacher when the girls would drop, drop pencils or something. 
then he would look down their shirts, I guess. Ugh. Yuck. And I said, I'm going to go kick his ass. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it that fighting spirit. I love it. Oh, my God. And I just, yeah, that kind of makes you, there is some that you pass on, you know, to your daughter. Mm-hmm. Not so much Danny. I wasn't, you know, like that with Danny. But with once you have a daughter and, like I said, want to do anything to protect her, there is things that will make you go, wait, mm-hmm. you know, what? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So stepping out, so you move out, you walk out, which is so powerful, and take that first step of, like, freedom and and, and independence on your own like that. What were some other things that you found along the way over the years that, like, continue to continue to basically build upon what already was so inside of you and and continuing to reinforce that sense of value and self and empowerment or maybe just something you discovered along the way that um through counseling you realized was a result of the abuse that you found a way to like heal from you know I won't it's like I said I had to have I had to have counseling and Mm -hmm. panic attacks and anxiety have been something that has plagued me yeah you know since since Val was born and your your sense of judgment mm-hmm. sometimes is you're wondering you know if you're doing the right thing but everybody tells me which which makes me feel really good everybody tells me what a good person I am mm. they said Lenny you know you are you're such a good person you know you've got a really good heart you got kind eyes you know and wish there were more people like you you know not even knowing my story Mm. and in a way I almost feel guilty and it's like oh my gosh what if they really knew Mm. you know what I what I went through and stuff you know but why um, do you think that would take away from you going through a hardship from you being like a kind um person I don't know it maybe it's because in a way I'm proud of myself because I did stand up to the bully and that kind of thing and it's made me want to one of the things I wanted to do when I retired was to work for CASA which what is that which is um it's an organization you take a six-week training court uh course and you go to court as an advocate for sexually abused Mm. children Mm, that's beautiful and I'm thinking what better you know what a better person to represent that than somebody that's been through it truly yeah you know instead of having somebody on the outside speaking into not to be harsh but like something they don't know yeah and sometimes too when I see stories like on 2020 or shows like that where kids have been abused you know when a child wants to keep going back to see somebody Mm. to me that's not a child that's been abused because I did not even want to be in the same room Mm -hmm. with my stepdad yeah so I kind of see things from that perspective too yeah you know the the truth or the the false accusations it's like having lived it you kind of know which would be another good thing for Casa you know you kind of know how you feel about that person and how you act and you know did you end up going through that program and doing that? I haven't done it yet. Oh, okay. That's something you're There's actually into. a waiting list. There's so many people that want to do it. That's beautiful. But yeah, that's something. That would be one way, you know, that I could really give back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything, I mean, I feel so bad for 
all the women and and men out there. Yeah. But the ones the ones that weren't so lucky, mm-hmm. like especially the males that went on to abuse, you know, their children or kids in the neighborhood or whatever, or women that stayed in abusive bad marriages because they thought that's the way it had to be mm-hmm. for me no mm-hmm. there's none of that's going to happen with me i i if anything it just made me strong because it was such a nightmare going through it and it's like why would you want to you know relive mm-hmm. anything like that yeah. and i will never understand these people that just keep on doing it the way it made you feel, why would you project that onto somebody else? Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Yeah. You know. It's a confusing cycle of brokenness at that point. Where it is. you can't even logic it out or fathom yeah. why. And why it makes you wonder, that? did they get counseling? It's like, to me, that's always a deep, dark question I will have is what makes people go on to live a full, healthy, normal life versus the ones that have been through the same thing I did? Mm-hmm. But yet they end up, you know, being prostitutes or drug addicts or abusive. I mean, what is the difference there? Mm-hmm. What, you know, that's always been a question of mine. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know? I would be bold in saying that's some of what we're exploring in the conversations here on the podcast, too, and, mm-hmm. and trying to address through people's stories as well what provided healing for them because yeah. there's not one road to healing. Everyone finds healing through different things. Yeah. But like, how do we heal and feel empowered after that? Because for some people, they may step into it really easily, but for some people, it might really be hard for them to be able to, yeah. like, I don't want to say step up to the plate, but step into that after the fact. Um, for me, I know a lot of it was realizing I had really bad self-talk. Like, mm-hmm. the way that I was talking about myself to myself yeah. uh, was awful. And uh, because I have no filter when I... Would sometimes get, when I got a lot of girlfriends when I moved out to LA maybe five years ago, we'd be like gabbing and talking, and they would basically point out to me how truly horrific my self talk was, mm-hmm. and that's when I started realizing, oh, for some people maybe they don't struggle with that, but for me that was one of the big things I had to work on, and that was didn't come up in therapy. That's just something through friends of like, oh, this is definitely fallout of like, I, was that ever hard for you? Because I feel like that's normal, but you seem so strong. Like, well. You know, Valerie and I were talking, you know, the other day, and I said, uh, even one of my counselors said, you you talk about it um, almost like you're another person that just looked at it like at a movie rather than mm-hmm. actually lived it. And I said, you know, after so many years go by, and if you're living a good life, mm-hmm. and luckily, you know, haven't had any major tragic events happen, then you, you feel you know, you feel lucky and you feel blessed and you can look back and you can talk about it without crying or breaking down or, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I mean, of course, you know, obviously back when I was a little kid, I was a basket case and I always looked down when I walked and uh, was very quiet. And I had a lot of people tell me that once I got out of that house, I, I blossomed. Mm. I had just a, an awesome sense of humor. You know, I started looking up yeah. when I walked. And, you know, it was just a whole different world mm-hmm. out there because, yeah, you've escaped. 
Aside from trust issues, do you think it's affected your like romantic relationships at all over the years? I kind of expect perfection. <laughs> <laughs> and it, they always start out okay, but everybody's on their best behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean. um, some of them have been long term, but I kind of get in this phase where, like, okay, enough is enough. I'm bored. I want to move on. Mm. You're not giving me what I need, mm-hmm. you know? And I get that in a way after you expect and stand up for yourself so much, yeah. you expect that out of your romantic partner too. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. That yeah. makes sense. But I always just say I keep looking until I get it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I keep trying until I get it right. It's not a bad way to look at it, truly. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I've been married twice and the first time I was really young, I was 19 and Oh, wow. That is young. Yeah. My mom got married at 17, yeah. so, like, I get young marriages, yeah. but, yeah, that's but it's, still... it still lasted seven and a half years, but... Um, was that really healing for you to have... Was it, like... I imagine from going to having your male figures in your life being abusive and fear-mongering mm-hmm. to then two years after you leave, that's mm-hmm. pretty soon after, to be married... Was that a big part of your healing? Like a safe, uh, touch well, safe male figure in your life? Or One thing, one thing that, <laughs> if I've had some drinks, it doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> when I first got married, the, the sex thing of, I would get like a claustrophobic feeling. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. not that my stepdad, I mean, I would leave the house. If I'm lucky, he didn't rape me or anything, but... He would get on me and pin me down, mm. and that has made me claustrophobic. Yeah, I that makes don't sense. like. That's why I don't like flying. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few things that just kind of stay with you. Um, you, you know. And I've talked to the counselors about that and stuff. You know, and oh, it's understandable. And they give me uh, cognitive therapy ways to cope with, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, not memories of like a movie of what he actually did to me but it's kind of like the fallout mm-hmm. like the yeah, you know yeah. the claustrophobic feeling and stuff you know there's there's that but um yeah um Dave was a sweetheart my first husband was a sweetheart and we're still friends to this day mm, that's we really just sweet kind of went our own separate ways you know and then then I met um Val and Danny's dad Bill and and you know we had um uh, we had a good life, but then again, him and I just had different values mm. about things. He was very strict, and I tended to be more lenient mm-hmm. and, you know, tried to be... I've always been very good with my money, mm-hmm. not, you know, and he liked to just kind of go piss it away. And, <laughs> and uh, But yeah, we raised two really great kids, so I'm yeah, not, not going to knock any of those years with him because I got Danny and Val out of it Mm. but um yeah as far as other relationships I sometimes I don't know what I'm looking for I've never believed in the whole soulmate shit Mm -hmm. I didn't think it ever existed but I will say right now um I am dating someone that I actually had met 32 years ago when I used to do karaoke and stuff Mm -hmm. he used to do it too and we were in a contest one time, and I beat him. <laughs> I got That's first right. place. And uh, so we went out a couple times, and then I found out that there was an old girlfriend in the wings that still kind of was saying she had claims on him, so I'm like, I don't want any part of that. So anyway, 
years went by, and just out of chance, we met at a tax preparer's office. Mm -hmm. Very romantic, me cute. He he lived in a whole other town, but he just took a ride with his friend that day for him to drop his taxes off, and we just met by chance after all those years. Mm -hmm. And we started dating. Um, Been together ever since, and... I said, well, maybe there is something to this soulmate thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's but, making you a believer. Yeah, he's he's so sweet. and That's very uh, serendipitous, I will say that. Yeah, he's yeah. very sweet and he's very, very giving. And he had, this is what really tops it, is he had a childhood every bit as bad, mm. if not worse, than mine. He had the dad from hell and... He got beat. Mm. Um, There wasn't sexual abuse. That was the only thing that didn't happen. But the physical abuse of those children and his family was just horrible. Mm. And whether, you know, because nobody else before ever had any kind Mm. of a childhood even close to mine. They all had idyllic childhoods. And so whether that's the bond that ties us, I, I don't know. But I'll tell you, it is so comforting because people can say, "Oh, oh yeah, I know how you're feeling." No, no, yeah. Um, they might can, empathize, he, but they he don't knows. Know. He yeah. knows. Mm-hmm. He can honestly say he knows. Mm-hmm. You know. No, that makes sense. That that would make that bond feel feel different, maybe than yeah. the other ones that you've had. Because this person yeah. doesn't just empathize; they truly yeah, understand what knows. you've been through. He understands. Yeah. And, and if would, he's in like a healthy place too for himself, mm-hmm. and what, then I imagine then that's such a great fit too because then he also knows okay just because I've been through something traumatic doesn't mean that I'm some victim holding up anywhere which means he won't project that onto you and see you also as strong and not broken because he can see himself that way which then just allows you both to grow and be happy in your identities without being tainted through some weird filter Mm -hmm. like you're broken which is a lie but we all ended up being really good parents holding good jobs, um, would never, ever abuse our children or our spouses, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's pretty good to get four out of four (laughs) in a a setup like that. What happens when you're abused is that in some way you end up abusing or letting that out on like partners or family or someone down the line that that's a a testament to you guys that you guys all steered clear of that and i i think that's what i'm really proud of too you should be yeah that's a victory he didn't win Mm -hmm. you know we all turned out so good we raised great kids and you know that that cycle was broken which is something that never happened in in that stepdad's family nothing Mm -hmm. you know nobody stopped it until they died of course So, but yeah, my mom is still with him. Mm-hmm. So she has not had a happy ending. Yeah. Um, Sounds like that's her choice to Although he doesn't beat her now, so, you know. Mm. <laughs> Small victory. <laughs> so yeah. sad. Yeah, he's yeah. too old to get around. But Yeah, Val is going to chime in. <laughs> um, so when I look at my mom, I see her as this amazing I'm gonna start crying amazing (laughs) pillar of strength and my aunts and uncles included and I think just from an outsider's perspective I think you know part of what helped them move on so much was 
breaking that cycle. And to me, my aunts and my uncles, and especially my mother, are the embodiment of the golden rule, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. Yeah, that is mother. And I think, I mean, her and I have had several conversations. She was brave enough to share her story with me early on in my life. And again, just as an outsider's perspective, I think that's a true motivator to get over and recover and become even stronger Mm -hmm. um, from what she's been through. And I'm just incredibly proud of her and so happy to be her daughter. Anyway, that's my two cents. You're talking like you have an outsider's perspective. That's like the most inside perspective. You're her daughter. Yes. And I agree. Like I have enjoyed you uh, as just a person before Lenny, but getting to hear your story have a whole new respect because you are like so funny and bright and warm but you are hiding all this deep reserves of strength and courage and like warrior woman spirit inside you that I mean I'm proud of where I'm at in my journey but it's definitely not complete to then be able to look at you and look uh, down the line and uh, because you have age and wisdom that I do not have yet and (laughs) And to have that to look forward to and and look up to, even as a younger woman, and say, yeah, I want to keep, I don't want me fighting for myself to ever end, right. to see you still fighting for yourself and finding partners that are healthy for you and still growing, that is such an example for me. Save ourselves hopefully some trouble. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Sorry, one just came to mind. Um, because I've never been married and I almost never date, so I have no relational experience. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but with having been married, just to take a moment for myself to learn and maybe for some of our younger listeners to learn, um, what is something, even some of the men listening who maybe have a wife or a girlfriend who's been through abuse and don't know how to like step into that, yeah. because there are going to be people who are married who maybe one of them's been through abuse and the other hasn't. How... What is a good way or something you would have hoped that maybe some of your past relationships, those men would have maybe, I don't know, I don't want to project like what if on the situation, you know what I mean? Like maybe some things they could have done better to help support you through that journey that maybe you're experiencing now with this new partner as like advice, I guess, for people listening in to be there for their partners. I think unless, you know, somebody has experienced that, they're too quick to say, just get over it. Mm-hmm. And if somebody would have, because I didn't, you know, every guy I was with, I did not share a lot of that deep, dark past, mm. you know. Um, but I think, I, I didn't have good listeners and I had selfish. Mm. The, the relationships that didn't work out, they were very selfish. Mm. I guess that's what I needed from them that I didn't get is that I wanted somebody to treat people good and listen to people because some of the guys I was with they didn't treat people good and I have no tolerance Mm -hmm. because of what I went through if I see you treating somebody really bad Mm -hmm. I don't want you in my life oh for sure that's not how I live my life that's not what I went through all the counseling and therapy it was so I could be a better person and because I'm sitting there thinking I went through all this shit and I'm here to say I'm I treat people good you went through nothing and you're just a horrible person. You're you're bitter and you're mean and, and not productive. It's and just not being other-minded, too. Do you feel like you ever had people in your life see you as a victim and, like, put you in that box once they knew your story? Or was that not something you really came across? I wouldn't let anybody put me in that box. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. No. I'm not. No. I worked too hard. Mm. You know, had a lot to overcome and and a lot of things to understand. 
yeah. why people are just awful to you know to children mm-hmm. um, and that kind of thing. So I know I would never, I would never let somebody do that. And when I even when I have opened up and talked to somebody about it, it's not because I want this. Oh, you poor thing. I want people to understand you know like when you know when we were little I think a lot of people knew Mm. in the family and like the way we went to school and stuff was marks on us and you know counselors today are taught to look for that kind of thing but education on it's getting better yeah Yeah. I want people to know god just say something Mm -hmm. if you suspect yeah and I like what you said about it wasn't when you were sharing with people it wasn't to try and get pity or, like, attention-seeking. Right. It's educational. You're like, we have to talk about this, or else how yeah. will we know? Like, yeah. as a community, obviously not everyone's going to go through it. Thank God. I would never yeah. wish that upon another person. But, like, listen and learn. Active listening. Yeah. Empathetic minds, putting yourself in your shoes, and just learning so that then you can be a, a, a better person approaching other people. Right. Because so many people have gone through it. Why wouldn't you want to try and interact right. with your fellow man better? Um, and that it's okay to not forgive. I mean, I'm sorry. Maybe some other people need that approach. But to me, um, I, you know, I cannot forgive him. I may never forgive him. I've forgiven lots of people for, for you know, other things. Mm-hmm. But they weren't a horrible, horrible person either. The but only way is. I would ever, like be nervous of someone being like, I don't ever forgive them as if it was destroying their lives Yeah, to not forgive. But it seems like, you, I mean, not even seems like, you have testament in your life of building such a beautiful life with wonderful children and yeah. job and home that it's clearly not destroying you. You've been able to to work through it mm-hmm. in your own way that then at that point you do with that what you will. No one gets yeah. to tell you that. Yeah. And see, the more women that come out too because – people not knowing my story would never guess because you know Mm -hmm. I do I do lead a pretty good life and stuff you know you just never know yeah you know it could be your neighbor or co-worker like you could throw a shoe and hit someone who's been abused at this point it's ridiculous yeah the numbers on it are yeah the conversation is growing but I think there's I've noticed lately culturally at this point we're very comfortable talking about abuse and sexual abuse because me too and time's up and all these things but I've noticed that there's still a stigma holding on when it becomes individual, like personalized. People mm-hmm. still feel very uncomfortable sharing, feel like people are going to see them differently and all this things, which by continuing to speak out, hopefully we break that stigma yeah. about saying, hey, I've been abused and I live an amazing life and I'm a wonderful person and mm-hmm. like value myself immensely and am full of joy. Like I'm like, there needs to be no stigma yeah. against people who've gone through abuse. None at all. If anything, part of me, I don't know about this, maybe let it out, but I'm like, <laughs> we should celebrate them. Like the warriors of our people who have like yeah. gone through trauma and then come out like stronger than that. Yeah, it comes out in weird ways sometimes, and you just deal with the symptoms, not the the actual events or mm-hmm. post-traumatic that comes from it. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. giving yourself grace in those moments, too, is so important for mm-hmm. healing, too, to not beat yourself up and ask yourself why you're still having a panicky moment all these mm-hmm. years later to just let that thought almost like invite. I was listening to a podcast recently, and I loved it, where she talks about when she feels fear like that. She invites it into the room instead of trying to kick it out and be like, no, fear, you have no place here. Yeah. Of saying, hey, and like, being like, hey, fear, hey, girl, what's up? Like, I see mm-hmm. you. You're welcome here. I yeah. get I get that you're feeling fear because of X, Y, and Z. You don't get to drive the car. 
you can be in the car though. I'm going to acknowledge you because it's yeah. part of growth instead yeah. of, and I, I think that's really healthy to, to give yourself that grace in those moments and not beat yeah. yourself up about it. The cognitive therapy is great, you know, because like I was taught, you know, you're, you're not going to die. You're, this is like you said, it's like an accustomed, you're accustomed to this feeling. It's going to pass mm-hmm. and you're going to get on. Things are going to be fine in a few minutes or whatever, you know. Because you could say that in your life now. Back when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. it never ended. Not yeah. until I, and yeah, not it infinite be, at that point. You know, because panic attacks are like a sense of false fear. You try to predict, you know, your mind races and you try to be a fortune mm-hmm. teller or predictor. And it, it usually the fear is not real. Mm-hmm. It's just the feeling of the fear. But in when you're a little, a child, that fear is always there. Yeah, and it's real. It's and real it's fear. Real. Yeah. And it's real. It's not a magic. see it on a daily basis, you mm-hmm. know, so. What's one of the best things that you've learned through your time in therapy? Whether the first time, second, or third, what's one of the biggest takeaways you had from it? The biggest thing was you did not do something to bring that on yourself. And, and the biggest thing is not being their victim anymore. You know, you can't give them any more power. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the best feeling in the world is that, you know, that person can never, ever hurt you again. And you don't have to put up with crap from anybody in your life anymore if you don't want to. Yeah. There's you know? choice. Involved you have a to certain say level. now. I run my life now. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. Taking ownership. Yeah. And yeah. The, in a beautiful way of like. Yeah. It's my life. I, there's some things we can't control in life, obviously, but like right. we have a, quite a bit amount of control at, at a point of in adult independence. Yeah, and it's not just um, in your life, you know, it's not just a, a sexual thing or an abusive thing. It's every everyday choices in your life. Yeah. You know, like um, things at work or, you know, things at a grocery store or taxes. I mean, you you have the say. You know, mm-hmm. if you've been done wrong. And I never used to speak up for myself, mm. but I do now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the older you get. <laughs> oh, the power the more... of saying no is one of my favorite things I've yeah. been able to learn so far. Because yeah. I used to be a big time people pleaser. Yeah. And would try to make everyone happy all the time. And then mm-hmm. was not one making myself happy and like depleting myself yep. by trying to constantly be so hyper aware of everyone else's feelings yeah. in the room that when I started saying no to people, I was like, oh, I feel better. I don't feel worse. This is great. <laughs> it is. It's a great feeling to have control over your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, and you know, it's comforting too to know, like with me, I know if I need to just kind of talk to somebody again and have some maintenance. Mm-hmm. It's good to know that there is, you know, you can fall back. You know, you have, like Dr. Phil says, you have a soft place to fall. You yeah. Know, you can. You know, just go in and get a little maintenance, and you can just get on with your life. And Okay. I'm going to ask you one last question, and it's a little bit of a silly one. Okay. What is a silly thing that gives you joy that you can do at any point in the week when you feel low? A silly thing? Mm-hmm. Like, for me, it's uh, <laughs> dancing around the kitchen when I cook. It's so silly, but I try and do it at least <laughs> once a week for whatever reason. It gets me out of my head, into my body. And gets me feeling really loosey-goosey because I don't like to cook. And so normally that could be a chore. I'm like, I'm standing on this hot stove in hot L.A. And I'm my legs are tired and I've already worked all day and whatever. But if I'm dancing, I'm like letting it loose and just like recentering myself. What's like a silly thing that you do that recenters you? Well, 
My cat hates it when I sing. So, Lucy, she howls and starts walking at me and glaring. And so I find a song on uh, YouTube or something that I can just sing my heart out. And I crank it and I sing and I just laugh at her because she can't stand it. But she's an evil cat, so. So she deserves it. I have to give her some evil back once in a while. Cat karma. But you know how dogs howl at a song? I've never seen a cat not like somebody singing it. Oh, my God. She hates it. I love that. Yeah. So that's what I do. That'll put me in a good mood every time just to see. (laughs) Joy the little moments. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And I truly believe it's going to be so empowering and you, I already feel empowered, so I know everyone listening is going to feel empowered oh, and braver for listening to it. And good. sorry that that's a story you've had to live out, but thank you in a morbid way for, for being willing to share it and claim it at this point in your life. But it's good to say it and know that it's okay. You know, yeah. I love, you know, I love my life. Yeah. It's good. That is beautiful. Yeah. Love your lives, everybody. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>